Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. This season of Extraordinary Stories, Magazine Queens, was originally released to M Plus subscribers. Subscribers get early access to Extraordinary Stories and unlimited access to all Mamma Mia content. To subscribe, head to mamamia.com.au forward slash M Plus. It's February 21, 2007. Britney Spears is alone in a white Mercedes-Benz at a petrol station in Tarzana, a suburb in the San Fernando Valley region of Los Angeles. The pink cropped wig that she was using to cover her newly shaved head sat in her lap. As the swarm of paparazzi that had been following her gathered, the 25-year-old stayed trapped in her car. The mother of two had been trying to visit her boys at ex-husband Kevin Federline's house that night. She rang the doorbell, but no one answered. So she got back in her car and drove to a nearby gas station. These nighttime drives across LA, paparazzi tailing Brittany every step of the way were becoming a regular outing. Paparazzo Daniel Ramos had been tracking Spears that day. In 2015, he detailed to BuzzFeed what happened next. He was about to be part of some of the most famous and disturbing paparazzi photographs in history. Brittany got out of the car. According to Ramos, the swarm of photographers at the petrol station thought the singer was going to use the servo's bathroom so they agreed to turn their cameras off. Ramos recalled telling Brittany, Maybe when you come back, we can talk to you. She looked at me really angry, like smoke was coming out of her nose. It was like a bull ready to bust out of the chute. And then it happened. Wearing a pair of white tracksuit shorts, white sneakers and a grey hoodie, Brittany's face contorted into a picture of rage. She began wielding a large green umbrella. Reporters say her teeth were clenched as she sprinted towards the press pack. Many photographers ran. When Brittany couldn't hit them, she made straight for a car. An SUV owned by Daniel Ramos. Flashes started going off left and right. They're shooting her, running to my vehicle with the umbrella and attacking my truck. It happened so fast. As quickly as it had begun, it was all over. Brittany dropped the umbrella and sped off, but not before the media scrum had their fill of photos ready to sell to the highest bidder. The torture on her face is just awful to watch. And, you know, when photos and stuff like that are coming in, you're just in that, oh, my God, you just can't believe that this has spiralled so high. 
Spears checked back into rehab the next day. Welcome back to Mamma Mia's Extraordinary Stories Magazine Queens. I'm your host, Emma Gillespie. In this episode, we're moving into the 21st century as we hear from the magazine queens who navigated the ups and downs of a new millennium. After the convulsions of guilt and grief that followed the death of Princess Diana, weekly magazines were hot again. The demand for gossip at the supermarket checkout was seemingly insatiable during this time. But in the 2000s, it wasn't the royals, not the British ones at least, selling so-called gossip mags. It was young Hollywood. The latest copies of NW, Who magazine, New Idea, Woman's Day, Famous and OK magazines were bulging with paparazzi pictures of starlets clutching giant disposable Starbucks cups or falling out of nightclubs carrying tiny dogs in handbags or lying down in the back of cars to escape detection. It was Brad and Jen and Brad and Ange. It was Paris and Nicole and Brittany and Lindsay. It was celebrities with cellulite and stars without makeup. It was a lot. Lindsay Lohan's been busted for DUI again. It's the second time since May and this time cops say Coke is involved. And here she comes right now, Paris Hilton finally walking out of jail, a free woman. You can see the thousands of flashbulbs now going off. If glossy magazines put celebrities on a pedestal, gossip mags worked to knock them off. As our desire to see the rich and famous as just like us grew stronger and stronger. Paparazzi images of your favourite actor putting petrol in their car or walking the dog grew to command tens of thousands of dollars. A pic of Brad and Jennifer walking along the beach? How about half a million? There was still money to spend in magazine land, even if the ground was beginning to shift ever so slightly beneath the magazine queen's feet. I would say that during the time that I worked in the gossip mag world, I saw the spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on paparazzi pictures and weddings and engagements. And as I was leaving, everything was beginning to change. Perez Hilton's wildly popular and irreverent celebrity blog was the first sign that the internet was coming for the so-called trash mags. But not before Britney shaved her head, the Kardashian empire rose like a phoenix from the ashes of a sex tape and Lindsay Lohan went from girl next door to tabloid fodder. We had all these wild childs and they seemed to be the most interesting, like the Britneys and the Mishas and the Paris Hiltons and the Lindsay Lohans. They were behaving badly. They were doing drugs. They were getting done for DUIs. They were doing sex tapes. They were just behaving badly. And you just felt, oh, my God, look at Lindsay. What is she doing? She's so, look, she's got no knickers on. She's so behaving so badly. Why is she so drunk? Why is she doing this? Why is she, oh, my God, I can't believe she's done this. It was gold if you were in the business of magazines because you were getting photograph after photograph after photograph. They would fill the magazine and we were fascinated by them. That's Louisa Hatfield, bona fide magazine queen of Park Street's Level 12. At one time or another, she's been editor-in-chief and or publisher of Woman's Day, TV Week, Take 5 and NW, 
and Pacific's New Idea and Who Weekly. Basically, all the weekly magazines worth knowing about. Those two years at New Weekly, under the editorship of Phil Barker, were easily the most fun I've ever had in my career. Hands down, those two years, I will always remember them as the most incredible experience, just beyond fun. It was just hilarious, wonderful, hilarious times. It was a young magazine that didn't take itself seriously. The whole point of it was humour. The whole point of it was the younger celebrities and looking at that and, of course, I think where you wanted to start, which is that it was the era of the it girl and the wild child. And this takes us to the next level of what really did work and didn't work. Louisa knew down to a fine art what a great cover looked like. To be at the helm of these magazines, having that kind of savviness wasn't really a choice. But the formula wasn't always simple. And in the fast-paced, competitive world of weekly magazines, the pressure for Louisa to get it right was immense, especially when she was editing New Idea. You know, it was scary times. If New Idea had a real shocker dog, as we call them, a real shocker of a sale, that would put a blip on the whole company's performance that month. So, you know, if you had four in a row, I remember actually I could easily argue that I am the person in the world, maybe even, who has had more dogs than anyone else. I do remember a time when I had five dogs in a row and the boss at the time stopped me in the car park and said, Louisa, what the hell? And I went, next week, there's always next week. (laughs) But five new idea dogs in a row, that's easily one and a half million that they're panicking about. It's a lot on your shoulders. What drove these magazine circulation figures to great heights were the photographs inside them. If a picture tells a thousand words, the tabloids of the 2000s were prolific storytellers. A relentless paparazzi culture went to great lengths to capture celebrities off guard. Okay, Brittany, let's go. Really? More, more, Brittany, more, more. Open the window. Open the window. Right here. Let us see the sign, guys. Let us see the sign, guys. Open the window. As we began to see them living candidly and unkempt, none more unkempt than the naughty's party girl. Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton, Britney Spears, Misha Barton, Kelly Osborne, the list goes on. The messier, the better. Louisa has seen her fair share of celebrity scandals and has a pretty good idea of why we revelled in seeing these women crash and burn. I think the era of Di and Charles really had, though, opened up the doors for the audience to want to know what was happening behind the doors, if you like, so that the revelations that came out from that Diane Charles and their behaviour, which was at times very reprehensible, they behaved badly, basically. They were royals behaving badly. You couldn't believe it. It was always about the fairy tale. And then you realised, of course, that the fairy tale was full of flaws, just like our lives. And that kind of opening up of the doors and showing us what actually was going on made it easy to believe the other celebrities and other famous people were flawed and behaving badly as well. So while there was this more care about the privacy and how you dealt with what paparazzi were allowed to do or weren't allowed to do, and there was more caution about what you covered or didn't cover, it didn't really at that stage in the early noughties go that far. So Diane obviously died in 97 and in 1998, that was when Brad and Jen got together. 
and I think they would argue very much that there was no change really. We were hounded, that whole romance was completely under the spotlight. But there was more of a kind of understanding that there was all of this going on behind closed doors and it wasn't all just this fairy tale wonderful life. So in some ways it fed the obsession with the sex and love lives of famous people. It kind of fed that audience obsession and they still craved it and they still wanted more. Mamma Mia's Holly Wainwright worked in weekly magazines for the better part of a decade. It was in the offices of Woman's Day that she became immersed in the gossip mag world before she was poached to go and work at OK Magazine. Loved celebrity gossip. I never imagined I'd work there, but then there I was. So what was it about these magazines that she loved? Photos, 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 I think, at the end of the day. I loved gossip. People do love gossip. Like these days, I think we're all busy pretending that we don't love gossip while everybody's madly watching Married at First Sight, you know, like... People love gossip and they love people's private lives and it's unfashionable to say so but women like looking at women and they like looking at their bodies and they like looking at things about them. So I always knew it was like a bit low rent and a bit trashy but I loved them. And we loved them too. Readers became fascinated with the wild child of the noughties. Flicking through pages of them in our favourite gossip magazines was quick, easy and strangely comforting. Knowing there were people out there making far worse life decisions than us, and not just any people, beautiful, rich, famous celebrities. They made us feel good about our own bad decisions, our messy breakups, our sloppy nights out, but it came at a cost. Please guys, please, please guys, don't do this. Fuck you! Holly was at OK Magazine when the umbrella incident unfolded. At that time, the weekly mag prided itself on being the magazine that talked to celebs, not about them. Because we did do deals with Britney and we did do deals with various celebrities, we didn't do the full trash, in inverted commas, like that was more of an NW kind of territory. But what I remember really clearly... It was too big a story. Britney shaving her head in particular was too big a story to not do it. But we always wanted our OK covers to be beautiful and aspirational. And I remember really clearly us going through trying to find a picture of Britney shaving her head that looked really nice. <laughs> like, laughing makes me sound like a monster. But like, this is literally the headspace you're in. We're like, we need to find a picture of Britney Spears shaving her head we can put on this cover where she still also looks like quite nice, quite pretty. I think it's very hard for people now to understand, but myself and the women, mostly women that I worked with there, we weren't awful humans. Everyone could see that like, oh, this is great, you know, like, but I think that was our job and that was our business and we'd been involved in it for long enough that you kind of had made certain deals with yourself, I guess. A young woman's very public breakdown captured the zeitgeist of the noughties tabloid era. It fed the public's obsession with the pop star's misfortune and even inspired a series of memes and merch with slogans like, if Britney could survive 2007, you can get through today. But behind the covers and the late night TV jokes, Britney Spears continued to spiral. TMZ.com is reporting that Britney was taken out of her home on a gurney by paramedics 
and that she is now being taken to a local hospital on what's being called a medical hold, essentially a mental evaluation. Fortunately, we have heard from Los Angeles police that there were no reportable injuries tonight at the Spears home. Um, so hopefully this is just what the TMZ report says. In the early hours of January 4, 2008, Spears was rushed to hospital. At the time, she was in the middle of an ugly custody battle with her ex-husband, Kevin Federline. Federline's bodyguard arrived at Brittany's home the night before to pick up the couple's two sons. Brittany refused to give them up. Instead, she locked herself in a room with her one-year-old son, Jaden. After a three-hour standoff, she finally handed her boys over. By that time, multiple police officers, fire trucks, two ambulances and a police helicopter had arrived. Police weren't sure whether Brittany was under the influence of drugs or alcohol or if she was having a psychotic break, but they all watched on as paramedics carried her away on a stretcher. When Brittany arrived at hospital, her father Jamie was there to meet her. It was a night that would set off a chain of events that not only saw Brittany lose custody of her two boys, but would ultimately see the star relinquish any and all control over her life. If I wasn't under the restraints that I'm under right now, you know, with all the lawyers and doctors and people analyzing me every day and all that kind of stuff, like if that wasn't there, I'd feel so liberated and feel like myself. I'm kind of stuck in this place and it's like, how do you deal? You know, and you just cope. That's Brittany speaking in the 2008 MTV documentary, For the Record. It was released shortly after a judge awarded Britney's father, Jamie, control of her personal and financial affairs, what's known as a conservatorship. Why? According to court documents, the pop star had a medical issue that prevented her from making consistently sound decisions. The world wouldn't realise the gravity of that judgement until years later. Yes, now, with Framing Britney, of the documentary that's come out on Britney Spears, we're getting an even deeper insight into just what she went through. As I say, the Me Too campaign has just given us a new lens to look at what was actually going on at that time. And she wasn't being cared for. And the same for Lindsay Lohan. The people around her were exploiting her, they weren't caring for her, they weren't interested in her welfare. People were giving her drugs and drink and they, they weren't understanding, or maybe they were understanding or not understanding, who knows. But those people around her who should have been protecting her were not protecting her. Surrounded by drugs, alcohol and teams of people who stood to gain financially from their empires and demise, there was a legion of naughty Hollywood starlets that became perfect prey for the paparazzi. All the paps had to do was show up, light a match and throw it on the fire. Those pap guys knew that they wound, 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 wound to get the reaction, to get the photo, to get the sale, if you like, and to make the money. We were a cog in that wheel and we have to take some blame and culpability for that because we should have known better. They were making most of their money from Australia because we were still locked into that bidding war. We didn't have 
lots of newspapers. So there wasn't, in the UK, there's a lot of magazines and a lot of tabloid newspapers. So the competition is never as fierce when you've only got two. At times, it was just New Weekly and Who, fighting, 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 and then, or New Idea and Woman's Day, or all four of them, fighting, fighting, fighting. The price just drove up and drove up and drove up and drove up. And so that made the pap want to get more. And so you just became part of this vicious circle, really, of driving those prices up. And as I say, those paparazzi guys were the lowest of the low. They were awful to deal with. As much as we loved watching the Britneys and the Lindsays burn, we needed a message of hope to balance the despair. Someone deemed more refined and aspirational. Someone like Jennifer Aniston. TV, I'm not going to Ross's wedding because he's my ex-boyfriend and that would be really uncomfortable. Jen was among a handful of Hollywood actresses who knocked the coveted supers of the 90s off their perch. Naomi, Linda and Kate were wiped from magazine covers and replaced by the Jennifers. Jen Aniston, Jennifer Garner, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Jennifer Lopez. While the pages in between these magazines might have depicted debauchery, DUIs and drug abuse, family-friendly covers were still what sold. It wasn't just about being famous and pretty, though. Louisa believes there was a foolproof formula which distinguished the cover girls from the ones on page six. Jennifer, really, for magazines, came right at the right time. What makes a cover girl work is essentially you want to be her, you believe you can be her, and she has to have that Prince Charming. So Jennifer Aniston was popular, but she was never a cover girl for New Idea Woman's Day, New Weekly or Who or any of those magazines until she started dating Brad. Mr and Mrs Brad Pitt snapped just after they tied the knot. Brad Pitt's in a black tuxedo, Jennifer Aniston in a white satin silk gown. You can look all the celebrities that are popular and all the celebrities that are not popular and the one common denominator that they have is that they found their man who the audience perceived to be worthy. Like Louisa, Holly knew that in tabloid land, magazines would live and die by what? or rather who was on the cover. You very quickly learn the words that work, the words that don't, the kind of stories that work, the kind of stories that don't, the kind of people who work, the kind of people who don't. And I remember very clearly when I went to work at Woman's Day, Louisa Hatfield, she was the boss of the weekly magazines at ACP, as it was then at that time. And she had this giant folder on her desk that had every Woman's Day and New Idea who were there arch rivals over at Pacific Magazine, so not yet in the our media stable. At that time, bitter rivals and Louisa had every single one of those covers side by side with the sales figures. And she would sit you down and take you through them and say, this worked because of this, this didn't work because of that. And it was mind blowing. And one of the things that I learned from her and I learned very quickly, and this is just good, well, I don't know if it's good journalism, but it's good commercial journalism, is doesn't matter what you think. It matters what the readers think. I remember when I used to work with Louisa and I used to always think, like I work with you closely every day, but I have no idea what you like, whether you like that TV show, whether you like that celebrity, whether you're interested in that, because it didn't matter. The question Holly was asked the most during her time in gossip magazines, is it all made up? And the truth of that is yes and no. There are some gossip mags, certainly in the US, and to a point in Australia, some more than others that are more credible than others, right? 
it is a reality that there are sources and I can't speak for now but in my day it's a reality that there really are sources who you know the chauffeur and the maid and the waiter and the policeman and the doctor at the thing were on payrolls and they were tipping off so a lot of celebrity stories would turn out to be true an example of that would be Caitlyn Jenner in her peak Kardashian obsession the rumors that Caitlyn Jenner was in fact Caitlyn Jenner that the formerly known Bruce Jenner was transitioning was a rumor for years and everybody went are you kidding like that would never happen that's not true of course it was true Brad and Jen were going to break up for ages and ages and it was true however there is also a point at which I think in Gossip Magland you just say something often enough eventually it will come true because people do eventually get pregnant or eventually have a baby or eventually get divorced or you know like that is what happens so yeah I think that the kind of throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks is uh, unfortunate it was the shock heard round the world the breakup of Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston how could it have happened to Hollywood's golden couple and what did Angelina Jolie have to do with it that fairy tale was over Hollywood's it couple Brad and Jen were done our mad queens of the day say it was a huge moment and one that would end up churning out more and more paparazzi images speculation and you guessed it magazine sales i remember the brad jen fallout and the first paparazzi pictures of angelina and him on that beach in africa with the kid like i remember that like it was yesterday that was like celebrity gossip magazine christmas right so you can avoid being papped to a point, but if you want to live your life and when the price on your head is so high that literally when Brad and Angelina would be in Namibia, which is where they went to have their child Shiloh, they would be perhaps dressed in full combat gear with bushes on their heads hiding behind shrubs, you know, like right now I'm lying in the sand, like I'm going to get that picture of this baby if it kills me. Like it was big bucks and big business and they were like prey and it is alarming to think about but that's how it was be it the so-called train wrecks we couldn't look away from or the cover girls we wanted to be it didn't matter who had the fall from grace no celebrity was safe from the prying paparazzi who were making millions from the magazine bidding wars so OK Magazine used to do a lot of deals with celebrities and get a lot of exclusives. And because we were part of a, a family over in the UK, we'd often get Australian rights on... I mean, we still had to put in money, but we'd get Australian rights. So Britney's wedding to Kevin Ferdeline we did. We did her baby pictures. We did all of those things on the inside. And we did a lot of that kind of stuff. The celebrities themselves saw an opportunity to take back control and boy did they start making up for lost time they demanded obscene prices and aggressively chased down photo opportunities more to the point they were doing set up paparazzi agents or the celebrities themselves would contact the paparazzi and say listen i'm going for a cup of coffee down there or i'm going to go on the beach in bondi and, and put a bikini on what will you pay me and then the paparazzi would do a deal with them and they would get a percentage of the profits we feel sorry for the celebrities absolutely 1000 percent particularly those that were vulnerable and quite rightly and you know we take full culpability for that how they were treated but at the same time there were a lot of celebrities that were on the one hand wanting the check and 
then on the other hand, whining about the magazines in other media, and there were a lot of them. And we would never come out and say, excuse me, they've just had 200,000 for their wedding, and now they're whining because the paparazzi photographer took a picture of them walking down the street. So there was a lot of double stance there from the celebrities, not just in Australia, all over the world. And just like that, celebrities became the paparazzi's fiercest rival. Paris Hilton was especially apt in the pap game. Tipping them off almost daily. From LA's most exclusive clubs to late night Macca's runs, there was rarely a place she went where she couldn't be photographed. The hotel heiress would soon realise there was far more money to make from giving the public exclusive access to her life. I think it's worth contrasting Brittany and Lindsay with Paris because Paris, I think, Hilton, was an interesting it girl who was badly behaved too. She, I think she got done for DUI, but she knew how to exploit the media. Brittany and Lindsay came from much poorer backgrounds and much less aware backgrounds, if you like. So they sort of fell into it and their parents weren't as savvy or, you know, as capable, if you like, whatever. But Paris was able to take advantage. She even took advantage of her sex tape, let's face it, to make herself even more famous. And she put on, like, she's worth millions, billions, whatever now. And she always says, everyone assumed I was that ditzy blonde on the reality show that she did with Nicole Ritchie. And she said, how could I be making millions like this if I I was that ditzy blonde? She put it all on. The childish voice, the breathy voice, the big sunglasses, the blonde hair and everything. It was all a persona, that dim naive, blonde stereotype. By now, celebrities were well and truly writing their own stories. As the competition for celebrity shots stiffened and reality television found a loyal and growing following, Louisa Hatfield had a revelation. I will always remember the light bulb moment where we thought the reason that New Weekly was doing so well or was having good sales was because their covers were very wacky and it was stars behaving badly and we even had a cover, I think, called Stars Behaving Badly that we would bring out once a quarter or whatever. But it actually wasn't that. What was actually driving the sales was the body image. So when I I did a massive analysis of it and I just looked at it and I went, okay, this is not selling because it's wacky. This is selling because it's got someone with cellulite thighs. That then became the new era of celebrity magazines where a lot of it was about body image and it was the celebrities who would put on weight, the celebrities who were too skinny. So Portia de Rossi was an infamous now tragic cover that New Weekly did of her with anorexia nervosa. I think we like to pretend that women don't love to look at other women's bodies and go, hmm, she looks like me or she doesn't look like me or I... Like, I think now we kind of are in a space where we say we just shouldn't talk about it. And I think that that's a little bit fake because I think that women do talk about it all the time. And so you do get skinny for summer and it would fly off the shelves because it's true. That's what people wanted and that's what they bought. Or look at this person. They were big and now they're small or they were small and now they're big. That stuff flew off the shelves. Women were fascinated by it. But what you had to do to manipulate those covers and those photos and everything like that was not great. 
It was the era of the size zero, but just as magazine editors were working out how much more mileage there was in letting readers gawk at every shrinking celebrity, a 22-year-old woman walked onto the scene and flipped the body image conversation on its head. It's really kind of crazy, you know? You, at first you think that, you know, you won't really get used to the cameras and then you kind of just forget they're there and we're just kind of hanging out, doing what we usually do. We want it to be, you know, all the way reality. She'd grown up under the glare and privilege of Beverly Hills and was best mates with Paris Hilton. They'd known each other since preschool. Standing at five foot two, she had long, dark hair, full lips and a bum. She was undeniably beautiful, but she didn't look anything like the celebrities in OK!, who and Us Weekly. Her name was Kimberly Noel Kardashian. All right, we're ready. No, no, no. We're ready here. The wind, you guys. You can't overestimate the importance of body image covers, as we called them. There was this period in the noughties where everyone was so thin they couldn't stand up. Like the only people you wanted on your covers were the Portia de Rossi's and the Nicole Richie's, and they were so thin. Rachel Zoe. Rachel Zoe was a big cover person for that time. And then suddenly here were the Kardashians and they were not. They were curvaceous and they looked amazing and they were proud to be curvaceous. Throughout the early noughties, she'd existed in the shadows of her more famous friends. But a home video leaked in 2007 changed all of that. Soon, everyone knew not just Kim's name, but her sisters, her brother, her half-brothers and sisters and her parents too. Kim Kardashian was actually famous, really, became famous for two things, sex tape and her butt, because she's got a big butt. And she literally changed the whole way we thought about butts. It's incredible, isn't it? Again, as with Paris, she had a sex tape, but she was never going to be the darling of the magazines. Kim Kardashian was the darling because she was curvy. At the end of the day, it was an immediate connection for people. Even though she was so outrageous and so this and so that, you could connect with her because she was curvy. And she celebrated that, you know? She was, I love my big ass. Like, she was so empowering for that, really. And now you would argue that they just created another unattainable aesthetic, especially what they may or may not have done to their bodies in order to attain that by now, 2021. But then it felt very fresh and very different and everyone was just obsessed with it. The tides were changing once again. Skinny was out, curvy was in, and celebrities were calling the shots. Social media was a thing and stars now had their own platform to tell their stories exactly how they wanted. And then there were the average Joe's turned journalists, online bloggers like Perez Hilton, who were dishing up celebrity goss not weekly, not daily, but multiple times an hour. Many magazine people facing shrinking staff and constricting budgets began to wonder how long the gravy train would stay on the tracks. And then I also began to see people I knew or peers of mine who had jumped to digital. That was clearly where all the exciting stuff was now. You know, they were writing really interesting things. There was a much more kind of free and less pressured and less kind of restricted, cliched way of being able to write and communicate. And I began to look at that and go, that's what I want. Next time on the final episode of Magazine Queens. 
the end of an era and the beginning of a new one. Budgets are slashed and the demand for content multiplies. Some innovate while many are left behind as a new packer takes the helm of Australia's most powerful media empire and diversifies its interests and makes way for an international player who changes the face of women's magazines forever. Extraordinary Stories was written and produced by me, Emma Gillespie and Mel Zauer with Holly Wainwright. Audio production is by Eliza Ratliff and Madeline Joannou. The executive producers of Extraordinary Stories are Eliza Ratliff and Holly Wainwright. M Plus subscribers can listen to every episode of Extraordinary Stories right now and get early access to new seasons as soon as they drop. Become a subscriber at mamamia.com.au forward slash M Plus or follow the link in the episode description. We'll see you next time. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription.